standard issue for all women. Hello, Jen here to tell you about this week's episode of The Sunday Chops. But before I do that, just to say, hope you're all keeping well. This is for some of us week three of lockdown. It's, well, the end of week three for most of us at Standard Issue Towers. It will be the end of week two for for many of you listening. starting to feel quite hard now. I know, I, I totally sympathise with that. But it is important, you know, stay at home, wash your hands, do all that stuff. And if you've been listening to our regular pod zine, we have been offering you lots and lots of hints and tips and things to do while you are stuck indoors. So in this week's podcast, we had personal trainer Anna Reich talking about how to keep fit in lockdown and giving you some exercises. There's a really good video that we've posted on our Instagram and Facebook page with some examples of exercises you can do at home if you want to sort of, you know, expend a bit of energy. The week before that, we spoke to journalist Hazel Davis about homeschooling and how to get your head around that. And we also talked to the excellent Lighthearts UK folks about how to keep your head together in what is quite a mentally stressful time. So we're going to keep bringing you stuff that we think will be useful, but also interesting stuff to, uh, you know, stimulate the old grey matter. One of which is coming your way right now. In this episode, I am talking to Leila Saad, teacher, speaker and author of the new book, Me and White Supremacy, How to Recognise Your Privilege, Combat Racism and Change the World. We had a fascinating chat about white supremacy, white privilege, about recognising whatever your privilege may be and how those different privileges intersect with one another. We talked about performative wokeness and about the language around white privilege and why the likes of Lawrence Fox have been able to get so many people's knickers in a twist. It's really interesting and it made me think about a lot of things, so hopefully it will give you cause to reflect as well. And yeah, I hope you enjoy. I'm joined on the phone by Leila Saad, talker, teacher and author of the new book, Khmer White Supremacy, How to Recognise Your Privilege, Combat Racism and Change the World. Hello, Leila. Hi, Jennifer. How are you? I'm good, thank you. So I wanted to ask you a little bit to start off with. The book kind of started as an Instagram experiment, right? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, prior to starting the Instagram challenge, so the Instagram challenge, I ran it in the summer of 2018, but I had been speaking and talking and writing about anti-racism and white supremacy for about a year prior to that. And I had noticed just before launching the challenge, I'd noticed that there had been a shift in the receptivity to hearing about and talking about anti-racism. Because um, when I first started talking about it, a lot of people who were white and who had white privilege often found the conversations very difficult, very challenging. Um, they got very triggered by it. We get very defensive. And I noticed over the course of the year that that had kind of shifted and people were more open to hearing and were more comfortable with having the conversation. So one night while I was trying to, to fall asleep and I was just reflecting on the year, I asked myself the question, what have they learned about themselves and white supremacy that has made it easier for them to hear this this conversation? So I, I grabbed my phone and I just start writing um, some notes on my phone, which I thought was going to be just a simple question. What have you learned about you and white supremacy? 
But as I began to think about, well, what is white supremacy? I realized it, it's more than, you know, it's, it's, it, I can't just ask that question. It's, it, white supremacy is so big. It's so multifaceted. Um, so I started writing down what became these prompts that make up the, the challenge and what make up the book. And these are different aspects of white supremacy that I had experienced, that I had observed, and that I had seen others experiencing as well. And so these became these 28-day prompts. So I, I launched it out onto Instagram, um, which is the primary social media platform that I use, just inviting people who, you know, were in this conversation, were in this work, or, you know, had been following my work for some time, to go on this 28-day journey with me um, to explore what they had learned about themselves and these different aspects of white supremacy. And I really couldn't have imagined what it could have become because I was really just following, at that time, just my own curiosity. It's, it's really amazing to me that it's, you know, it became this very viral Instagram challenge, which then became a very viral um, PDF workbook that I self-published and is now a New York Times bestselling hardcover book. You've mentioned the, the the 28 prompts and the 28 chapters. Can you tell us a little bit about what the book actually is for anyone who's not familiar with it? So the book is actually very much a workbook. It's not a book that you just read and reflect in your mind on the ideas, but it's one that you engage with. It's a tool for personal anti-racism work. So for people who are white, it's a way to enter what we call the work, doing the work of anti-racism. And it invites people to explore how they hold unconscious racist thoughts and beliefs and how they have often unintentionally caused harm to people of color, whether through thought, belief, or action. And so I take the readers through this 28-day challenge, and each day we look at a different aspect of white supremacy. So we look at things like white privilege. We look at things like tone policing, white silence, cultural appropriation, um, tokenism. You know, there's, there's, 20, there's 28 of them. Mm. Um, and in each day, I break down what does that thing actually mean? How does it show up? So examples, so people can relate to it, not just, as I said, from a sort of theoretical and mental understanding, but really looking at their own lives and looking at how do I do that thing in my life? And then I talk to readers about why it's important to examine that thing. How does that thing uphold white supremacy? And then I end each chapter with a collection of journaling questions um, where I invite people to explore for themselves how does this show up and why and what does it mean? And so it's a way, it's, it's really a program for people to engage with the work of anti-racism from a very personal, a very intimate perspective. It's not so much about going out into the world and, you know, showing other people that you are anti-racist, but actually de delving deep within yourself and, and looking at the ways that you are unaware of the ways that you show up um, in, in racist ways. So I think that's quite interesting because there's quite a lot of, I'm sort of conscious of doing it now actually, um, there's there's quite a lot of sort of performative wokeness, I would call it, out there at right. the moment. So right. people desperate to prove that they're not racist or sexist or homophobic or, or what, you know, the sort of virtue signalling or purity spirals or, or whatever you want to call it. 
out there right. in the sort of social media world. Right. And I think there's a danger that that sort of damages a legitimate conversation because mm-hmm. it makes the people who are a bit like, well, what are you talking about? I can't even like, you know, slap a woman's ass in public anymore or whatever. You know, it, it kind of makes things look ridiculous when mm. when they're not ridiculous, if you see what I mean. Right. If you take yeah. everything to the nth degree, you make what is a legitimate and serious and worthwhile topic start to look a bit daft. Are you worried yes. that there's a lot of that going on and not a lot of action? I mean, that's certainly there. <laughs> I mean, that, and that's always going to be there. And, you know, me and white supremacy was born on social media. Without social media and without those people who want to be to be able to prove to other people that they're not racist, those are the people who engage in the challenge. So without yeah. that, none of this work would exist. I think that that's a first step, though. I think what I'm really inviting people to do is, is to go beyond that. And, you know, I can't really control how people engage with the work. You know, I often say there's going to be plenty of people who use my book to do performative wokeness, right? Mm. So they read the book, they're able to spout off the terms or even the ideas and make themselves appear to be quote unquote woke, mm. um, but they're still not actually engaging with it in a, in a meaningful way within, within themselves. And so there, there are limits to what educators and teachers and, and writers can, can do because we can provide the teachings and the information and the the offer for transformation but it really is up to the reader to to engage right to 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 be able to commit to something that is greater than themselves but what i have seen you know we have had so many people engaging with this work and what i see in terms of you know what i see in terms of posts and what i receive feedback personally is that there are many people who are engaging with this work in places and spaces that are not necessarily for the eye to see it's not necessarily elevating them socially or or anything like that but they're just simply sharing what's going on in their in their communities and so yeah you know there's there's a little bit of everything (laughs) and we do live in a time right now and in a world right now where we're just used to having like that instant sense of gratification and we like the likes and we like the follows and we want the entertainment and while this work began in that space in the instagram social media space it's certainly not what grounds my work and the and the place that I come from. As you've said, so this sort of started on Instagram and, and quite a lot of the people that found you certainly initially were people who are, I guess, there's an acceptance that racism exists for a start and there's a willingness to do something about it or acknowledge it or, or at least as, at least appear to be doing something about it. Right, um, right, right. So what do you do then about the people who are not on that page? How do you change the hearts and minds of, of the people that aren't willing and accepting of this? Yeah, so I'm I'm very clear for myself as a black Muslim woman that that's not my job sure. to reach those. Because me putting myself in the position of having to engage with those people and having to convince those people is really then me self-sacrificing uh-huh. in the hopes 
that people who refuse to see the ways in which people who look like me are harmed or actively, proudly embrace racism as the right way, um, I'm putting myself in harm's way. So it's not my job to do that. What I do hope to do is to reach the people who often see themselves as the opposite of that. Like either they're not racist or they don't wish to be racist. They often see themselves as quite liberal, quite progressive. And my hopes is in reaching them and, and assisting them in doing the internal work from within of, of anti-racism, really allowing them to see how they hold racist thoughts and beliefs and assisting them in how to transform them and asking them to have those conversations with those people. Because when white people have conversations with other white people about race, the risk of, of threat and unsafety is nothing like when a black person has to have sure. a conversation with white people about race. So part of when we talk about, quote unquote, using your privilege, part of doing that is doing your own personal anti-racist work so that you can go and have meaningful, significant, long-term conversations with other white people who may not be in the same place where you are and assisting them um, to, to get there. You know, and it's not about, well, I'm now not racist, so I can go and teach them. Or I know more than them, so I'm going to go school them. You know, that's not what the work is about for me at all. When we talk about anti-racism, anti-racism is long-term, consistent, lifelong work, which means, and this is something I talk about in the book, you know, call out and call in culture. It's not just about being able to call out and say, oh, they did something wrong, they did something racist, and now we're going to go after them. You know, absolutely, sometimes being called out is the right thing to do, but does it create necessarily long-term consistent change? Not necessarily, you know, and for, for people who hold white privilege, what I'm asking for is go have meaningful conversations with other people who hold white privilege so you yeah. can just get beyond the self-righteous, I got to call them out and I'm one of the good ones and they're not. That isn't, I think for, for white people, I think the way to continue to enforce some of the things that I talk about in me and white supremacy, like white exceptionalism mm. and, and white centering, yeah. It takes a degree of self-awareness, I think, to be able to look at what you're talking about in the book and think about that and think about your sort of part in it. You know, I, yeah. I, I'm I, a liberal, left-wing feminist, blah, blah, blah. I, I like to think, I like to hope I'm sort of like fairly attuned to this kind of thing. But I would say that's only quite recent, actually. I think a lot of times people are not malicious. They just don't see things because they don't experience it. And that is what white privilege is. White yeah. privilege means that you have been protected from having to see how people of color are not treated the same as you. When it comes to racism, mm -hmm. this idea that in order to be racist, you have to intentionally be wanting to be racist. And that's the only way that we define what a racist is. It, what that then means is that oh, racism is only done by a fringe group of extremist people. Mm -hmm. It's not the norm. It's not the standard. It, for the most part, the world is not racist. There's only just a few bad apples who act racistly. And there's a great book that I quote in, in Me and White Supremacy that's called Racism Without Racists. 
And it talks about how many people, such as yourself, right, who self-identify as progressive, liberal, feminist, you know, see themselves as completely not racist um, before entering into work such as this. And yet racism persists because there are so many statistics that show us how people of color are disadvantaged in comparison with white people. So as an example, the black maternal health crisis in the U.S. and the the U.K., right, which shows that black women, black mothers are much more likely to die in childbirth or from pregnancy related causes than their white counterparts. Yeah. Or when we talk about the wage pay gap, Mm -hmm. there is a wage pay gap that exists between, you know, men and women, but there are different wage gaps that exist between white women and women of color and black women. And so being white means being completely unaware of a lot of things such as these. It's just the world is set up in a way where white people are often seen as the norm and everyone else is a deviation. And so as long as it satisfies the majority who are seen as white, that means that the world exists for most people in the same way. And it's just not true. So none of this has to do with intent or being a bad person or purposely wanting to cause harm. A lot of it is just from ignorance. And when I say by ignorance, I don't mean stupid. I mean, you haven't had to have known that any of this exists because society isn't set up in that way. It's just a complete hidden spot. And work such as mine and others of my uh, peers in this current age and people who've existed throughout history who have tried to bring this work to light are here to show that, look, here are the ways in which many of these things are hidden from you. And here's a light that is showing you the truth so that you can help create change so that we can actually live in the world that you think that we live in. Hello, Mickey here to tell you how you can find out more about us. And that is if you want to follow us on Twitter. Standard Issue is at Standard Issue UK. I'm at Mixter Noonan. Hannah is at That Dunleavy. And Jen is at Inspire Jen. And you can find out more about our views, opinions and general nonsense if you follow us over there. Look forward to having a natter. I think something that's um, yeah. on TV here at the moment, and goodness knows we've all got a lot of time on our hands as, uh, <laughs> as we're locked in, and some books also, if you want to go and buy some good books, other than this one, of course. Mallory Blackman wrote, is still writing, I believe, a fantastic series of young adult fiction called Noughts and Crosses, which mm, kind of... I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. I've heard of it, and I've heard it's amazing. Yeah, so she, what she does in it is she flips the power dynamic, so... Instead Mm. of Britain and France and Germany and whatever sort of colonising everywhere way back when, it's the other way around. And it's the continent Mm. of Africa that's sort of colonised Europe. So the dynamic is that black people are in the position of power and the white people are second class citizens. It's quite an interesting exercise, I guess, in empathy. If it's something people haven't necessarily thought about haven't necessarily considered you know really that this all just is based on the accident of birth you know like where you happen to be born like I think it's quite an interesting way to introduce young people to to those concepts you know I I really want to watch the, the series but what I was going to say is I really struggle with when people use that that phrase of accident of 
of birth. Oh, really? Yeah. So I I think I know what you meant when you said it. But the reason why I struggle Mm -hmm. with it is because it kind of takes away the, the fact that a lot of this stuff was intentional and not accident. So the colonizing by European countries was not accidental countries and then the sub the subjugation of African people, you know, was very intentional. Mm -hmm. The slave trade, very intentional, right? All of these things have been very intentional. And so when people say accident of of where you were born, sometimes I I feel like it, it gives a message that African countries are inherently third world countries just because they're African and not because they were colonized by European countries. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, I w- it would not have yeah. occurred to me to look at it that way. But it's, so it's these kind of conversations and these kind of distinctions of really being able to help people to shift their understanding that the world isn't the way that it is by accident. The, you know, the world isn't the way it is because that's just the way it is. It's the way it is because the, the people who have taken power and who have seen themselves as superior and therefore use that superiority to dominate over other people have created it that way. I want to talk about the language of of these conversations as you know you've just sort of highlighted some there. So I don't know if you are aware of something that happened in the UK uh, probably about a month or so ago. There's an actor called Lawrence Fox. He was on the BBC programme Question Time. They were talking about white privilege. The woman of colour who had who had brought the subject up, he called her racist for using the term white privilege, which is obviously insane. And he was absolutely, you know, lambasted by a lot of people. But unfortunately, also obviously what he said resonated with a lot of people who are like uh, who right. are white and kind of like oh, I'm sort of bored of being treated like the bad guy here basically and what I think it brought right. up was actually a legitimate point about the language which is that for a lot of working class white people who do not feel privileged it's it's a hard term to accept because they don't feel privileged, so how can they be privileged? And and I think it's hard for people to understand that these things are not, you know, they're not mutually exclusive. You can be privileged in one way and not another, and that doesn't, you know, that doesn't detract from someone else's lack of privilege. They're just they're separate things, and they need to be considered separately. Although, of course, there is a huge overlap between race and class in, in the UK, yeah. certainly. Do you think the use of the term privilege, do you think that's that's helpful? Do you think that's turning people off a little bit? It's, it's interesting, actually, because I was recently interviewed... Gosh, where was it? It was on my UK book tour. I'm struggling to remember who it was that um, that was interviewing me. Um, but they said they don't like the word white privilege. They were a, a woman of color or a mm-hmm. person of color. And they said they didn't like the word white privilege because they felt that as a black person that they are privileged to be black. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting way to think about it um, because I do feel really grateful to be to be a black woman. Um, and I take a lot of pride and I have a lot of love from, from being a black woman, from coming from black people. You know, it's a, it's a great source of, of pride and joy, um, for me. So I understood where they were coming from with that regards, but I also felt it was still important to use the word or the term white privilege because it signifies that we still live in a world where white people are treated as if they are better than people of other races. And I know particularly in the UK, people struggle with the 
term privilege because it is very much linked up with this idea of class and economics. But when we take it, you know, you, you mentioned about that there are other privileges as well, right? So I'm an able-bodied woman. I am not disabled. I am able-bodied. And I accept that the world is, for the most part, built for able-bodied people. I have able-bodied privilege. For me to say to a disabled person or to disabled people, look, when you called me privileged for for being able-bodied, that makes me feel bad and I feel like you're being mean towards me. I didn't mean it for the world to be set up. You know what I mean? Like, despite how I may feel, we still live in a world that is ableist. So me getting upset about it Mm -hmm. really just adds to the fact that disabled people are already having to navigate living in a world not made for them. And then I, an able-bodied person who has the privilege that they don't have is saying, now don't make me feel bad about it. Yeah, it's it's the fragility question, isn't it, that, that you sort of it's raised a, yeah, in the and book. It, and it excuses me if I paint myself as the victim, as the able-bodied victim who is being bullied by disabled people. It's a really awful way for me to, to try and abdicate any responsibility for why the world is the way that it is, why it treats disabled people the way that they are treated that I am not part of the problem, I'm just an innocent bystander. And the fact is, do I advocate for disabled people? And am I making sure when I do my events, when I'm offering my things, that I'm taking into account that people who are disabled may not be able to access the work in the same way that I do? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like it's, And it doesn't cost me anything to do that. I don't lose my able-bodied privilege to do that. I just think the most, in the times that we live in, the most powerful thing you can do for someone really or the most generous thing you can do for someone really is to listen to them if they're telling you of their experience and believe them absolutely yeah yeah you know like we said just because you can't see it doesn't mean it isn't there it just means that you haven't had to you haven't had to see it and I think like I have these conversations with men all the time about gender inequality and so you have to, if you've ever had like a really fucking frustrating conversation with a man where you've had to like, you know, explain this stuff and, and they're telling you whether or not you should be offended by what you're offended by, then just remember that and apply it to other people as well. Yeah, and I, and I would add sort of a, a layer onto that, right? Because I think in the example you're saying, you know, I'm envisioning you as a white woman having a conversation with a white man, right? Who yeah. a straight, white, cisgendered man is, you know, the most privileged person in this world, right? Yeah. Um, and so... But don't tell um, him that for that, God's sake. Oh, absolutely do not, <laughs> right? And so you're having that conversation and you're feeling frustrated as a black woman, I'm having to have the conversation with both of you. And I'm not just saying it's the white man. I'm saying it's also you, the white woman. Yeah. And often white women can see how they are being impacted by sexism, but really struggle to understand that they are impacting people of color through their own racism. And what I ask people is accept that both things are true at the same time, that we live in a world that is not just you're either privileged or not privileged. You're either the victim or the oppressor you're i it's we're all things at the same time but particularly when it comes to the issue of race this is where we have to be really cognizant of 
that it's an added factor all the time, but it's often for a lot of things, the root of a lot of the other isms. You know, a lot of the other isms that we're talking about, whiteness is often the root of it. And white doesn't mean just the color of your skin. It's not just, oh, the color of your skin makes you somebody who oppresses other people, but it's the thinking, it's the conditioning of what whiteness as a social construct means. That whiteness as a social construct means that you are superior to any other person of any other race. And therefore you, you deserve to, to be treated as more of a person than any other races are, are deserve, deserve to be. Your book, Me and White Supremacy, is available now and it's published by Quercus. What else are you up to? Have you got anything else sort of coming up? Or are you just sort of doing a lot of publicity and, and talking about this at the moment? So I should say Me and White Supremacy is published as a hardcover book, an audiobook and an ebook. But in addition to being an author, I'm also a teacher and a podcast host. So I have my own podcast. Oh, okay. It's called Good Ancestor Podcast, and it's a weekly interview series where I speak with change makers and culture shapers, both who are doing kind of racial justice work, but also doing other forms of transformational work. And I really focus on interviewing people of color on that um, on that podcast. And I also am the founder of a virtual learning a platform called Good Ancestor Academy, where I teach master classes. And so I actually have two that are available right now. They're 90-minute classes on specific topics. One of them is on white feminism, Mm -hmm. and one of them is on parenting and white supremacy. And they are available at goodancestoracademy.com. So if those are, you know, specific topics that you're wanting to go more into, I have those. The next one will be on um, allyship in the workplace. Although with us all social distancing and quarantining <laughs> at the minute, I think I'm going to put that one on the back burner just for a little while until, I don't we, know. until we find our feet. People have got time. <laughs> People have got time. Get it That's out there. That's true. <laughs> Are you on Twitter and Instagram? I'm only on Instagram. It's the only social media platform that I use. And and because of that, that's where you'll find all, all of my mm-hmm. things. So uh, my Instagram is Layla F. Saad. Excellent. Layla, thanks so much for chatting to me this morning. Thank you for having me. Hello, Hannah here. Just wanted to let you know that if you like what we do, you can help us by rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It really does help, especially if you give us five stars. Did that sound threatening enough? Give us five stars. Standard issue for all women.